Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Live from New York, it's, well, I'm not in New York, ladies and gentlemen. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you've heard a lot about uh, what's been going on in Charlotte. I'm just going to say one minute on it, and then we're going to get to uh, the topic of the program. Uh, everything is fine here in where I live, and mostly in most areas of Charlotte. Uh, it's a very isolated area downtown where there's been some protests and, uh, of course, the media has not reported accurately on this, at least not the incident that instigated the riots and the protests, because uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post and even the Wall Street Journal buried the fact that the cop who shot the a black gentleman or black man uh, actually was a black man himself. And they buried this in the story. I think in the New York Times, according to Howard Kurtz, uh, he uh, mentioned that several of these – Howard Kurtz is a Fox News reporter. Uh, he was saying that several of these outlets buried the fact that the man the, uh, who was shot by the, by the cop, they buried the fact that the cop was, was black himself. It was not a white cop shooting a, a black man. It was a black cop shooting a black man. And apparently the black man had a gun on him. So in any event, all these facts are going to come out eventually, but it just amazes me that the major media uh, decides they're going to fuel the narrative rather than report the truth, when maybe by reporting the truth, they could have saved some property damage and maybe somebody's life because a man did die in the riots down there the other night. So if you want more on this whole topic and uh, – the uh, racial tension that's been going on. Uh, go uh, back a few weeks, a month or two ago, to when we had uh, Derwin Gray on and also Jay Warner Wallace on. We did two programs on this topic. So you can go back and listen to those podcasts, and uh, I think they'll have some helpful information in them. And nothing's really changed here in Charlotte. The only thing that's changed is uh, that... Uh, this was not a white cop shooting a black man. It was a black cop shooting a black man. And the media decided it wasn't going to report on that, at least not prominently. Well, that's par for the course. That's why it's very difficult to trust the mainstream media. All right, what's the topic we're going to talk about today? I just had the privilege of returning from uh, Washburn University just a couple of days ago. Uh, debated Jay, or Jeffrey J. Lauder. Uh, Jeffrey J. Lauder is the uh, founder of, uh, one of the co-founders of Internet Infidels, and uh, we debated the topic, what better explains reality, naturalism or theism? Jeffrey, of course, taking the naturalism side, I took the theism side, and let me say, Jeffrey J. Lauder is a is a great American. He's just a, a wonderful uh, gentleman and a scholar, and uh, we had a, a great exchange together, and we shared three meals with one another before we even took the stage. I really enjoyed Jeffrey. He is so polite and uh, such a great representative of his position that he's actually been banned on some atheist websites for telling them to stop being uh, so rude to people. He is just a very nice gentleman, and I enjoyed our, my time with him and enjoyed the debate. 
and uh, the debate in terms of its video, we'll, we'll hopefully have the video edited here in the next, it takes a while to edit these things. Uh, we got to take all of Jeffrey's good arguments out. Um, and now, <laughs> it takes a while to edit these things. To just get, it's oh, a two and a half hour debate. So we have to uh, put all the PowerPoint in. In fact, I got to contact Jeffrey and get his PowerPoint so we can display that on the screen properly. And uh, so it'll be a couple months at least before this is going to be available. Uh, however, I, I think the, the debate from both sides went well in the sense that we presented our arguments. We were very cordial to one another. We had some good exchanges. The audience was great. In fact, Jeffrey's commenting on his blog right now, and his blog is at the apathios.com. It's the Secular Outpost blog. You can just uh, Google his name. You'll probably find it, Jeffrey J. Louder, L-O-W. L-O-W-D-E-R, and uh, he just has an entry, My Debate with Frank Turek, which uh, he put up on his website yesterday, I believe, and uh, I haven't had time to do that because I'm already on to the next thing. We have uh, TV to record here on Monday, so uh, I'm I'm not going to be able to write anything about it, so I figured I'd just verbally talk about it today and talk about his arguments and my arguments and uh, interact a little bit with that. The biggest problem in any debate, ladies and gentlemen, and I think Jeffrey would agree with this. In fact, he even says it in his, his blog. The biggest problem is time. You don't have enough time, really, to go over these issues in any great detail or with any robustness. It's more like you're just stating the argument and coming to a conclusion maybe throwing a line or two of evidence out there, and then you've got to go on to the next thing. So you really can't develop these arguments. And one of the things all debaters struggle with, I think, at least those of us who don't do it a whole bunch, guys like William Lane Craig might not struggle with this, but I certainly do, and that is how do you manage your time and how do you present evidence clearly to the audience so they understand where you're going and, and what your basic arguments are. Now, we both attempted to do this, And uh, I basically gave the evidence that I use from uh, Stealing from God, the book Stealing from God. In fact, I even used the acronym CRIMES, which is right out of Stealing from God, that uh, creation, reason, information, morality, evil, and science all point to uh, a theistic universe. Creation, reason, information, morality, evil, and science all point to a theistic universe. We've been through some of that evidence on this program uh, before, and we'll go over a little bit of it. But I want to deal more with Jeffrey's arguments and some of the things that he had said. He actually came up with an acronym himself for the rebuttal, which unfortunately I don't think really worked very well just just due to time. He didn't have enough time to develop it. Uh, But I'm going to deal with his arguments for naturalism. Now, one of the most refreshing things about Jeffrey and and about a debate like this is that he agreed that he had the burden of proof just as much as I did uh, for his worldview. He says, well, you know, atheism alone isn't really a worldview, but naturalism is uh, in the sense that naturalism is saying that that all that exists are particles, material things. Metaphysical naturalism says that there is no supernatural realm. Everything is made of molecules. And if there is anything that isn't made of molecules, it's developed by the brain. In other words, mental states come from purely physical states. And so uh, he was what he considered to be a metaphysical naturalist. Although toward the end of the debate, he said, well, I, I, I do believe in immaterial things. And that was at the very end of the debate, so we really didn't have a. I really didn't have much of a time to interact with him on that. So I'll, I'll want to interact with him privately about that, or maybe we'll have him on the radio program and talk about it. So he he seemed to almost back away from metaphys, metaphysical naturalism at the end. But again, I'll have to get clarification on that. In any event, he had 
to support positively through evidence that naturalism was true. And I had to support positively through evidence that theism was true, or at least most probable. Now, when people ask, well, did you win the debate? Did he win the debate? That's not my judgment to make. I had people tell me and the moderator tell me who, in, in, in all honesty, was a Christian that it was good for our side. But I'll let you decide that when to, once you see the video. And and actually, I, I know this is going to sound odd, but winning the debate sounds more personal than it needs to be. If a guy who is presenting let me put it this way. If, a, if one side of the debate uh, has the truth and that person does not present the truth well and the other side wins, that's a bad thing. Okay? And it's not who won the debate. The issue is what's true? And one of the problems is you can be really good at presentation and really good at rhetoric and have the wrong position and get people to believe that you have the right position just because you're really good at presenting and you're really good at rhetoric. Right? So I, that's one of the problems I have with debates. In fact, one of the few reasons I do debates, I prefer to do presentations because you have a lot more time to develop your points. One of the few reasons I do debates is because you get people coming to a debate who might not come to just a presentation. And what you're trying to do is get the audience to consider these issues. But who won the debate isn't really the issue. The question is, the question is what's true? I mean, you're debating. Is, is theism true or is naturalism true? I don't know if you can come to a firm conclusion after a two and a half hour debate, but we can discuss these issues further here on radio, and that's what we're going to do. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Uh, our website, crossexamine.org. And in a minute, I'll tell you how you can get the PowerPoint slides from my side for the debate back in two minutes. Don't go away. On October 6th and 7th, College of the Ozarks in beautiful Branson, Missouri will host the Pensmore National Symposium on Religious Liberty. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Ben Carson, Liberty Institute President Kelly Shackelford, and from the American Family Association, Abraham Hamilton III. The founders enshrined religious liberty as the first among the freedoms protected in the Bill of Rights because they recognized that the prosperity of the American Republic rose or fell with its religious freedom. As our nation spirals into a deeper moral pit, this event may reconnect attendees with the intents of the Founding Fathers. It's high time Christians did something to preserve our liberties before they're lost forever. The Pensmore National Symposium on Religious Liberty is designed to inspire participants with a greater resolve through better understanding of the issue. The cost is $50 per person and student admission is free. More information is available at AFR.net. Here's Dan Celia with today's Stewardship Moment. Have you ever thought of all the verses that Christ prayed in. John 11, he prayed after Lazarus rose from the dead. In Luke 9, we see him going to the mountain to pray that he might be encouraged. He prayed in Luke 22 and in Luke 23 for strength to go to the cross, for endurance, for the pain of the cross. Christ gives us an example that prayer helped him through his life. Before we set our own agenda, let's sit in prayer so that God may reveal His agenda for our life. 
You've just heard a stewardship moment with Dan Celia of Financial Issues Ministry, helping you plan, give, and invest wisely. For more information, log on to financialissues.org. That's financialissues.org. Welcome back to Cross Examined with Frank Turek and the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with D on the end of the.org. Like our Facebook pages, crossexamined.org and DR Frank Turek. DR Frank Turek. Uh, those two Facebook pages we put out uh, a lot of information on. In fact, our world class, first class, uh, absolute social media guru is the great Jorge Ernesto Gil Calderon, and he puts out about eight posts a day on those two pages. Some of them are short video Q&As that we do on college campuses that you can share with others and a lot of other great stuff. So you're going to really want to make sure you like those Facebook pages, crossexamine.org and DR for Dr. Frank Turek. Uh, we've got over 155,000 followers now on the Cross-Examine page, uh, somewhere around 30 or 40,000 on the uh, DR Frank Turk page. So like those pages because so much information, great information you can use is put out right on those pages. And also you can go to our website. Now I mentioned that on our website you can actually get the PowerPoint slides that I used in the debate the other night in a PDF form. Just go to crossexamine.org and type this into your browser. This is There's no... There's no link on the website. You're going to have to just type this in. Crossexamine.org forward slash debate. Forward slash debate. And if you do that, send us an email. We're going to send you that PDF almost instantaneously. Okay, so go there and uh, you can just get that immediately. And you can see where I'm going with my argumentation and even my rebuttal to some of Jeffrey's points. Now, obviously, when you prepare for a debate, you sort of know what the other guy, the other uh, debater is going to say if he's debated before, and Jeffrey has, and Jeffrey knows I've he knows I've debated before, and so we we had a good idea of what each of us were going to say in our opening statements. As I mentioned earlier, my opening statement in support of theism were the uh, was basically the arguments that I give in Stealing from God, uh, the book Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Creation, it makes much more sense that this is a theistic universe based on the evidence from creation, that there is a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator out there who created this space-time continuum. The evidence shows the universe had a beginning and a fine-tuned beginning, so creation. Reason is another argument I made. The very fact that we have the ability to reason and we're not just molecular machines or moist robots shows us there's an immaterial realm, and that's best explained by a theistic God, a being who made this universe reasonable and allowed us to reason freely to conclusions. Information. That's the eye in crimes, the fact that there is a, a genome out there which requires a mind because it's a message. Just like if you, you're walking along the beach and you see John loves Mary in the, written in the sand, you don't assume the waves did that. You don't assume that uh, crabs came out of the water and made that message. You know something like John loves Mary is a message that requires a messenger. A message requires a mind. Well, there's a much longer message in every cell in your body, 3.5 billion letters long. And that, therefore, would require a mind as well. And, I mean, if, if, if John Loves Mary requires a messenger, then a message three and a half billion letters long does. Even in the, the most simple life we know, and no life is really simple, 
there's over a thousand volumes of an encyclopedia of information in there. Now, to believe that that resulted by natural laws, like believing that the Library of Congress resulted from an explosion in a printing shop, you know, I just don't have enough faith to believe that. Information requires intelligence. Morality requires intelligence and requires a, 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 a standard of goodness that doesn't exist in a naturalistic framework. I mean, if we're just molecular machines and there's no grounding for goodness, how can you say that torturing babies for fun isn't good or, or I should say is evil? How can you say it's how can you say it's evil if it's not good if there's no standard of good? And what we were talking about in the debate was the ontological grounding of goodness, not how we know it, not uh, gee, I, I just know it because uh, uh, my society taught it to me or my parents taught it to me or we have to cooperate to get along as society and all this. No, the question is why is there why does such a thing called goodness actually exist and why are we obligated? To, to follow the good or to do the good and to shun evil. Why are we obligated if we're just molecular machines, if we're nothing, if we're just a bag of rocks or just a bag of chemicals? There's no obligations. There's no moral obligations. So we talked about that in the debate. And then, then evil is actually an argument for God too. Not because God is doing evil, but because there would be no such thing as good. Well, let me put it another way. There'd be no such thing as evil unless there was good, and there'd be no such thing as good unless God existed. His nature existed again. This being has a nature whose very definition, whose very essence is what we mean by good. If that essence doesn't exist, then there's nothing, no, there's nothing good or bad. You can't get morality from rocks. You can't get morality from just materials. And therefore, if we're just materials, there's nothing called evil. But since we all know things are evil, it's wrong to torture babies for fun. It's wrong to sexually abuse children, an example I gave at the debate. Then there must be a standard of rightness, and there can only be a standard of rightness if God exists. And then finally, the S is science. You couldn't do science unless the world was orderly. You couldn't do science unless... There was these, or there were these consistent, reliable, natural forces that keep the world orderly and keep the cause and effect relationships going. If the world were chaotic, if the world had no order to it, then there would be no way to do science. Because what you're doing when you're doing science is you're looking for cause and effect relationships. And so the very success of our ability to do science requires an orderly natural world, and that orderly natural lord, uh, world, <laughs> orderly natural world, requires an orderer, someone who established these laws and keeps them going. Every law has a lawgiver, or at least these do, it seems. If that's the case, then somebody like God better explains reality than just naturalism. So, whew. That was kind of my argumentation with a little bit more detail. Jeffrey's argumentation for his position, and you can read this right on the blog that he just put up yesterday. Jeffrey's argumentation for his position says that there are seven things that he thinks point toward naturalism, which makes naturalism more probable. Number one, the very existence of physical stuff. Number two, the very success of science without appealing to supernatural agency. Number three, biological evolution. Number four, pain and pleasure. Number five, mind-brain dependence. Number six, 
empathy and apathy, and he says including the neurological basis for some moral handicaps. And then number seven, non-resistant non-belief. In other words, if there was a good God out there, why are there people out there who are not resistant to God but still not yet Christians? You know, why wouldn't they, if, they, if they're truly open, why wouldn't they be, be, be Christians? Why wouldn't God want to get them the truth that he is their savior? So those seven reasons were constituted his reasons for saying that naturalism was more probable than theism. And so let me respond uh, generally to some of those points. And I did this during the debate, and you will see some of the slides for this if you download the PDF off our website. Again, the address for that is crossexamine.org forward slash debate. Again, you're not going to see this as a menu item. You've got to go there to actually and, and type that in, the word debate after crossexamine.org in order to get this. All right. So let's deal with the first one. He says, well, physical stuff exists. And that, that's a better, a better evidence or there's, that points more toward naturalism. Because physical stuff has to exist if naturalism is true, but it doesn't have to exist if supernaturalism is true. And he's basically saying, look, as far as we know, just physical causes exist. My response, and I tried to limit my response to only three quick points because you have very limited time. In fact, he goes through a 20-minute affirmation of his position, those seven points I just mentioned. And then I only have 10 minutes to refute those seven points. So, right, I'm, I'm getting a minute and 20 or so seconds per point. So here's what I said in response. His contention that the very fact that we have physical things is better support for naturalism than theism is actually overridden by the biggest exception to his view, and that is the universe itself. The universe was created from nothing, not materials. In other words, the universe does not have a material cause. If he's going to say everything has a material cause, well, the biggest counterexample is the entire universe itself. It did not have a material cause. And in fact, as the universe continues to expand right now, it's expanding into nothing. It's not expanding into existing space. New space is being created from nothing. I mean, I know this is kind of hard to get your head around, but that's what it appears to be. But the main point is, is the universe itself came from nothing. Secondly, our thoughts. We have true thoughts, but how can we have true thoughts if they are caused completely by the blind laws of physics? This is a point I hit on over and over again, and I truly think it's the biggest Achilles heel in metaphysical naturalism. And that is, if we're just molecules in motion, if we're just moist robots, why should we believe anything we think? Because we are not free will creatures who are reasoning to a conclusion. We are merely moist robots who are reacting to a conclusion that has been preordained by the laws of physics. And when, during the, the cross-examination, I don't think he gave an adequate response to that objection, although he responded to it a little bit in the post here, and I'll get to that a, a little bit later. I don't, I don't think it's an adequate response. In other words, our thoughts are immaterial. Oh, they may derive from a material brain, but the thoughts themselves are not made of molecules. The thought that I have right now that I am sitting in Charlotte, North Carolina, is not made of molecules, that thought. And it's not completely derived from molecules. So 
If it were, why should I believe it's true? If it's just if I'm if it's just a emission from the laws of, that, that that have been caused purely by the laws of physics, and there's no immaterial reality here, there's no mental, then no free will mental thought. Then why should I believe it's true? So you've got the universe, you've got the very fact that we have thoughts that are immaterial and not completely caused by materials that show that his contention that physical stuff more points toward naturalism than theism. The third reason that I pointed out is something called the placebo effect. That's where the immaterial mind causes changes to the physical body. We know that the brain can help cause thoughts in the immaterial realm, but many times our thoughts can affect the material realm, the placebo effect. In fact, many of Many physicians say that most of our diseases are caused by stress, mental stress. That's where the mind affects the physical. The immaterial affects the material. So the causation goes that way as well. All right, more on this after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamined.org. If you'd like these slides, crossexamined.org forward slash debate. I'm back in two minutes. The isolation of Israel, the insurgency of ISIS, the resurrection of Russia. Are these current events warning us the end times are near? Explore 10 critical issues facing our world in Dr. David Jeremiah's upcoming book, People Are Asking, Is This the End? On sale worldwide October 4th. Pre-orders available now for a gift of any amount to Turning Point, which include exclusive pre-order bonus offers. Hurry, offer expires October 3rd. Pre-order your copy at davidjeremiah.org today. Sandy Rios in the morning. This is a time of madness, it really is. This is from the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. He said, evil attacks the weakest, denies truth and love, is defeated through Jesus Christ. And I just love that. Evil is defeated through Jesus Christ. And so let's not be afraid. And if you are afraid, then, you know, make yourself right with God. Sandy Rios in the morning. Weekday mornings at 7 Central on American Family Radio. Steve Russo with Real Answers. I had just walked into my office when one of our staff said, Steve, there's a lady on the phone from the East Coast and she sounds desperate. Judy began pouring her heart out regarding the problems she was facing and wanted some advice about what she should do. She had tried everything she could think of from drugs to hypnosis. Nothing seemed to relieve the stress and she was desperate for answers to the crisis she was in. If only I could go back a year, she said, I could fix everything. I knew what was right and I should have done it then. I've strayed from God and he doesn't want me. Have you ever found yourself thinking this way? Have you ever felt this hopeless? Just remember, no matter what you've done, you have a loving God who is willing to forgive your sin and help you rebuild your life. To learn more about Real Answers, check out Steve's website, www.realanswers.com. Coming to Portsmouth, Ohio, ladies and gentlemen, this next weekend, October 1st, 5 p.m. service at Christ's Community Church, and then the 10 a.m. service Sunday morning, Christ Community Church again at Portsmouth, Ohio. If you're anywhere near near that area, I'd love to see you there at Christ's Community Church. 
And then the following uh, Wednesday, I'll be at East Carolina University. That's ECU. For those pirates out there, arg. Anyway, that's going to be in Greenville, North Carolina, 7 p.m. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist part two. We just did part one back in April toward the end of the semester. We're coming back to do part two uh, on what night is that? Is that a Wednesday night? Let me take a look at the calendar here, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Wednesday night. And then the very next night, I'll be at San. Where am I going to be? Hang on. San Hills. Uh, Community College in Southern Pines, North Carolina for another I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist event. That is uh, October 6th. And then the National Conference on Christian Apologetics in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I am now. That is Friday, October 14th and 15th. And I've been telling you about that the past few weeks. So we've got some amazing speakers coming uh, we've got uh, Lee Strobel, we've got Gary Habermas, of course, Norman Geisler, uh, Jay Warner Wallace, my friend, uh, cold case homicide detective with whom I do fearless faith conferences. There's going to be just so many great speakers there. You're not going to want to miss that. SES.edu, SES.edu, SES stands for Southern Evangelical Seminary. If you want to come, and you do want to come to that, it's the, the best apologetics conference on the planet. And uh, this is the 23rd annual. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Amazing Calvary Church, Friday, October 14th and Saturday, October 15th. I even think there's a women's uh, event going on there Thursday night. You may want to check into that at ses.edu. All right, let me go back to the debate now. The debate with Jeffrey J. Lauder, a gentleman and a scholar. And uh, we, I talked about uh, before the break, his first argument was for physical stuff that points more toward naturalism. My point is, no, it points toward supernaturalism because there would be no physical stuff unless there was a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, intelligent, personal being that brought physical stuff into existence because physical stuff had a beginning. His second point was on the success of science and how we don't need supernatural agency for that. And there was a confusion between what we call empirical science and forensic science. Yes, science has been very successful telling us how things operate, but science has not been successful in telling us how things originated, at least not atheistic scientists are science. If you, if you rule out intelligent causes before you look at the evidence, there's no way you're ever going to see that there had to be an intelligent being out there that created and designed much of what we see. And for that, I just used the uh, famous example that John Lennox uses. He says, imagine you have a Model T in front of you, an old Ford Model T. Um, what accounts for the Model T, Henry Ford or the laws of internal combustion? Of course, the answer is you need both. You need Henry Ford to originate the Model T or create the Model T, and then you need the laws of internal combustion to allow the Model T to operate. I mean, if the laws of internal combustion changed every 10 minutes, the Model T wouldn't operate. And so you need both in order to have a Model T and to account for what a Model T can do. But you shouldn't say that because you're getting real good at learning how a Model T operates that there's no origin for the Model T, that there's no creator for the Model T. You need both. And to say that science has been successful telling us how things operate doesn't tell us anything about how successful is science is in telling us how things originated. And the things that atheists and Christians argue over are not how things operate. We're not arguing how Model Ts work or how airplanes work or how computers work or how GPS works or any of those things. What we are arguing over is how certain big questions 
are answered when it comes to origins. Like, where did the universe come from? Like, where did first life come from? Like, where did subsequent life forms come from? In fact, those three questions are the biggest questions we argue over, and they have nothing to do with empirical science other than showing us that empirically it looks like we need a designer. Those are forensic questions. They are historical questions. You can't go in the laboratory and re recreate the creation of the universe or the creation of first life or new life forms. You can't do it. They're historical questions. So it, we may be really good at learning how the universe operates, but that doesn't mean we know how the universe originated. That's a different question. And so to use the success of science to try and say, the prestige of empirical science to try and say we know how we got here through origins, I think is to make a category error in the sense that you're trying to use empirical science to answer a question that is a forensic question, an historical question. Now, I wish I had more time to develop that in the debate. I didn't, but I just used the Henry Ford, or I should say John Lennox's Henry Ford Model T illustration to point that out. His next point, Jeffrey Lauder's next point for his idea that naturalism better, better describes this universe than supernaturalism, or at least theism, is biological evolution, that somehow that shows us that naturalism is true. Look, even if biological evolution were true, that wouldn't necessarily mean that naturalism is true. In fact, macroevolution could be true, and Christianity could also be true. Now, I don't think that's the case. I think macroevolution is false. And what I said in the debate, and again, very limited time, had a minute and 20 seconds to point out some of the problems with macroevolution after saying, look, this point is really irrelevant to the debate. But since he brought it up, what I said was, my first point was the 3.5 billion letter genome that is in every living human being is positive evidence for intelligence. Secondly, mutations to that intelligently created genome are nearly always harmful. And thirdly, even if they were favorable, that wouldn't be enough to explain new life forms. Why? Because new life forms need structural products, which are called epigenetic information, which can't be created through mutations. DNA is sort of like the, um, the software, whereas the cell wall and the tissues and the organs are kind of the structure that you need for a new life form. It would be like saying, because I have an architectural program, I therefore have a house. No, just because you have a program that helps you figure out how to build a house doesn't mean you actually have a house. You need nails, wood, concrete, roofing materials, wires, etc., in order to have a house. And the DNA is like the software program Whereas the epigenetic information is sort of like the structure that you need. Just like you need nails, boards, and concrete to build a house, you need epigenetic information to build a new life form. And that's basically all I said about that because I had to move on. But I did point out that if Darwinism is such a slam dunk as Jeffrey just kind of assumed, well, we know macroevolution is true, there wouldn't be a scientific meeting going on in England, in the U.K., uh, in November, put on by the Royal Society. This is a very prestigious scientific organization over there, kind of like, I guess, our, our, uh, one of our scientific affiliations here in the U.S. And uh, they're having this meeting on November 7th to 9th. And we spoke about this meeting, by the way, last time I had 
uh, Stephen Meyer on, I think back in June. Go back and listen to the Stephen Meyer interview. Anyway, here is the reason they're having the meeting, and this is on their website. You can see it, royalsociety.org. Just go click on events, and you'll see this scientific meeting regarding biological evolution. Here is the reason they're having it. Quote, developments in evolutionary biology and adjacent fields have produced calls for revision of the standard theory of evolution, although the issues involved remain hotly contested. The very folks who are pro-evolutionists are realizing, you know, we got big problems here. In fact, one of the topics they're talking about in this debate is epigenetic information. You cannot modify epigenetic, epigenetic information through mutations. DNA can, can't get you a new, life, a, a new life form or it can't get you a new body plan, which is what you need for macroevolution to be true. So anyway, there, there's, a, there's a lot of problems with macroevolution. And again, by the way, even if it were completely true, the very laws that allow natural selection to work need a mind. And in fact, that's the argument I made uh, in my opening statement when I talked about science. I said the very fact that the, nat that un the universe is goal-directed, the very natural forces are goal-directed. The four natural forces we know about, gravity, electromagnetism, strong and weak nuclear forces, these are all goal-directed. They're going in a direction consistently. Therefore, they need an external intellect to direct them and keep them going. That's what we mean by God. That's what Aristotle meant by an unmoved mover. That's what Aquinas meant by his fifth way to argue for God. So even if macroevolution were true, you would still... I'm not talking about theistic macroevolution here. I'm just talking about macroevolution without any guidance from... Uh, at, at, the, at the natural selection level. Even if that were true, there has to be guidance undergirding the processes that allow natural selection to work. The very natural forces, the four natural forces need a mind behind them. So you don't get rid of the need for God even if macroevolution were true. In fact, I went on to say, naturalism can't explain so many immaterial things. It can't explain the cause of the universe, the laws of logic. What? They're not, they're not made of molecules. It can't explain the laws of nature, the laws of mathematics, the genetic code or the genome we've been speaking of. It can't explain mind and consciousness. In fact, I mentioned Daniel Dennett said that consciousness is an illusion because it doesn't fit with his materialistic worldview. He actually said consciousness is an illusion. One wonders if he was conscious when he said that. It can't explain free will. It can't explain objective moral values, love, justice, and obligations to do right, what's right. It can't explain evil, as I've already mentioned. These are all immaterial things that naturalism, metaphysical naturalism, can't explain. So I can't see how naturalism could be a better or a more plausible worldview than theism. Because by definition, metaphysical naturalism rules out any immaterial reality, and we know these immaterial things exist. Now, maybe Jeffrey, maybe I'll have him on the radio program. We can unpack these things further with more time. But it really, I just, I, just, I just don't understand how someone could say that this is a more reasonable worldview. His next argument, uh, argument number four, this again, I'm talking about Jeffrey J. Lauder's arguments in our debate the other night at Washburn University, was there's too much pain in the universe, and uh, therefore uh, it makes more sense on naturalism. My point, my counterpoint was this. This is a moral objection, but moral objections don't disprove God. They require God to exist. Why? Because if there is no God, flourishing is not objectively good, and pain isn't objectively bad. So there's nothing to complain about. And then I went on to point out that this world isn't the end of the story. If Christianity is true, 
Christianity explains that this fallen world is the way it is for a reason, but Christianity also explains and ensures that a restored, flourishing world will exist where justice will be done. In fact, uh, several of Jeffrey's other arguments he's made in other debates are like this. They all assume a moral realm, an ontologically grounded moral realm, when he has no basis for making such moral judgments if everything's made of molecules. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek. I'm back in just two minutes with more. Don't go away. So there I was at the airport in a foreign country. I breathed a sigh of relief that none of my pocket change raised any alarms. But when I put my hand in my pocket, I realized my passport was missing. My brief moment of security clearance satisfaction turned to panic as I quickly looked everywhere. I mean, I checked every pocket I had, looked on the floor, looked on the conveyor. But my flood of worst-case scenarios was stopped instantly. The moment I saw a security officer hold up my passport and call out my name. You see, without that passport, there was no hope of entering the country. Not even my plane ticket could get me in. How far do you think I would have gotten by standing at the gate and saying, "Uh, but you don't understand, I'm a good person? Silly, right? But many people seem to think they'll be able to get into heaven with that argument. Jesus said there is only one way into heaven, and he is the door. Are you absolutely sure he'll call you by name and allow you to enter? If not, call and talk to someone more about it. 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. Or chat live with someone now at needhim.org. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist and creation researcher with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, where do comets come from? Chris, comets pose a very difficult problem for long-age evolution. Many of these comets are short-lived. They last only a few trips around the sun, but yet our solar system is full of comets. Therefore, it can't be very old. Evolutionists have proposed a hypothetical source of comets called the Kuiper Belt. Photographs from the Hubble telescope seem to support the claim. Unfortunately, recent studies of these same photos declare that the Kuiper Belt has not been found. There is no source of comets which would keep our solar system supplied with them. The Bible says that the entire universe was created in Creation Week, along with everything else. It's not billions of years old, and the evidence that we see supports this. Everything goes back to Genesis, and so it should. Thanks, Dr. Morris. For more on creation, visit our website at www.icr.org. So one atom says to another atom, I just lost an electron. And the second atom said, are you sure? The first atom said, I'm positive. That's my science joke for today, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about my debate I just had the other night with uh, Jeffrey J. Lauder, a scholar and a gentleman. I wish all atheists were as cordial. In fact, I, w- I wish I was as cordial as he is. <laughs> He's just such a nice guy. Uh, anyway, we're talking about uh, some of the arguments that we had back and forth and uh, about what better explains reality, theism and naturalism. And, of course, I took the theistic position. Jeffrey took the uh, naturalism position. By the way, Jeffrey is a, a veteran, as am I, of the United States military. Jeffrey was uh, four years in the Air Force. I was eight years in the Navy, which stands for never again volunteer yourself. Anyway, uh, Jeffrey uh, was a very gracious during this debate, as I mentioned. And hopefully when this de- we get all the, the video edited and all that, we'll, you'll be able to see this whole thing and you can make a judgment for yourself as to who made the better argument. And again, the question isn't who was more likable or who presented better. The question is always who um, 
is presenting the truth. What is really the truth here? Anyway, I'm going through some of the arguments that Jeffrey was saying that support naturalism. And uh, the other, let's see, this must be the fifth point. He said uh, that naturalism makes more sense because we can only have a mind with a brain. There's no mind without a brain. And my response to that is, number one, since this fine-tuned universe came from a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal intelligence, ultimate reality is a mind without a brain. Again, Jeffrey is is ignoring the greatest counterexample to his position, and that is ultimate reality is a mind. It's not matter. Matter had a beginning. You see, matter arose from mind, not the other way around. Mind did not arise from matter. Matter arose from mind. So the entire universe came into existence out of nothing. And as we've talked about before, that implies a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal intelligence, a mind out there that brought it into existence. Secondly, laws require a lawgiver. The laws of logic, math, morality, and nature are imposed by or derived from an immaterial mind. So the very fact that we have laws... Laws come from lawgivers shows that there has to be a mind out there. Now, I think that the laws of logic, math, and morality are derived directly from God's nature, whereas natural laws, like the laws of physics, are imposed by God. I mean, the laws of physics could have been different if God wanted them to be, but logic, math, and morality couldn't be because they're derived directly from his nature. And I think also the idea that you can only have a mind with a brain begs the question in favor of naturalism. And it ignores the two points that I just made, the fact that the universe came from a mind and the fact that laws come from a mind. So he's begging the question to say you can't have a, a mind without a brain. Now, it might be, uh, as far as humans go here on Earth, that might be the case. Yeah, obviously, okay, you got to have a brain to have a mind. But the very question is, can we have... A mind without a brain. That's the question we're investigating. So you don't just say, well, I only can see, you know, humans having a mind with a brain, that that proves the case. No, the very question is we're asking, can it be otherwise? And looking at the evidence, it seems to be. Then he started talking about empathy and apathy, and I wasn't really clear completely on this point, but he seemed to say that this evolved from the brain. And he seemed to be talking about the fact that we can show that there are certain areas in the brain that maybe it's correlated with empathy or apathy or this, this kind of thing, and, and so that approves it. It's a materialistic explanation. And my counterpoint to that is, is there is no way you can ever prove from neuroscience that materialism is true. There is no way you can ever prove from neuroscience that the mind is the brain. There's no way you can do it. On principle, doesn't matter how much science advances, on principle you could never do it. You say, why not? This is what I pointed out in the debate. Because if the mind is the brain, no science, including neuroscience, is reliable. You say, how so? Because if the neuroscience is just a moist robot, there's no reason to trust any of his observations or conclusions because they are all determined by the laws of physics. You see, the very guy doing the experiment to try and say that we don't, that nobody has a mind, that they're just brains, well, he has to assume he has a mind to come to that conclusion, to be able to validly do an experiment and come with valid conclusions from his experiment. He has to assume he's not just a moist robot. He's not just a molecular machine. He has to assume he has to assume that materialism is false in order to show it's true. So it's it's self-defeating. 
All right. His final argument. Let me see if I got this numbers right here. Yeah, I think his final argument had to do with why is there honest non-belief? Why are there people out there who say, look, I'm open to God. And yet I don't believe well, if God really exists and he's all loving. Why would why wouldn't I believe then? I'm not resisting God. Why does he just, you know, why do such people exist? Well, first of all, it's questionable as to whether such people actually do exist. But if they do, let's just say for the sake of argument, they do. Because if you say they don't, they're going to say, the other guys can say, what? You're a liar. You know, I'm, what are you telling me? I, I really do want God. I mean, I, I, I really do. I really am open to this. How can you tell me I'm not? Obviously, I can't. Now, you go to Romans 1 and say, well, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Yeah, 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 okay. But again, he's just going to get mad if you say that. And it might be that he is a true seeker in the sense that he just quite hasn't found God yet, but he's on his way there, right? So my counter response to that is this. Well, maybe God allows honest non-belief for a time Number one, to encourage a longer search that grows character and maturity. If people came to faith too soon, maybe they wouldn't grow, or maybe God has certain lessons for them to experience before they become believers that actually bring glory to him and actually maybe make a better testimony or whatever whatever reason. We don't know. We're speculating, right? Number two, it might be to bring greater benefits by delaying a conversion. For example, a searching atheist may bring more people to Christ later rather than now. Because he might bring more people with him later rather than now. Or he might gain contacts with the unbelieving world as an atheist that he wouldn't have if he became a Christian too soon. I mean, that's possible. You just don't know. But just putting out a couple of possibilities here counters this argument that says, well, if God were God, why would there be honest non-belief? And then finally, it might be to prevent someone from whom God knows will later fall away from becoming more culpable. God knows it's that this guy, if he comes to faith now, kind of in a halfway measure, or at least he says he's a Christian, or he tastes the heavenly gifts, I think as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6, and later falls away, well, he's more culpable then. Maybe he, doesn't, maybe he didn't completely taste it. I don't want to get into the whole uh, uh, eternal security here. I believe in eternal security, but uh, it could be that he did get closer and did realize what the truth was, and then turned away later. Maybe God's just saving that person from that. Okay, so, and, and then you could add a fourth category here, which I didn't have time to get into, and it's related to uh, the first two I mentioned, and that is there could be trillions of other reasons that God allows honest non-belief, non-resistant non-belief. That's, they're, they're unknowable to us because of the ripple effect, that things ripple forward into the future that can affect trillions of events and people into the future. And we can't trace how all those connections work or what the ultimate outcome of certain events are, but God can. Maybe somebody stays a non-believer for quite a bit of time because staying a non-believer for quite a bit of time actually creates more believers down the road because of the ripple effect. Again, we can't see the future, but God can. So I think this blunts this objection. And by the way, I was prepared for several other arguments that Jeffrey has brought before. I don't have time to get into them now. Maybe we'll do it at a future time. But the point here is is that uh, 
Jeffrey put forth some arguments, which I appreciate because quite frequently you do some of these debates and atheists are just trying to say why Christianity is false rather than trying to give evidence why their worldview is true. And I think Jeffrey's right to say, well, atheism alone, if you just try and divorce atheism from all its implications, isn't strictly a worldview. It's just saying, I, I think there's no God. But that doesn't necessarily qualify, or I should say, it doesn't necessarily require that person to make a positive case for why certain things could exist in the absence of God. Whereas if you come along and you say, well, naturalism's true, which, in, which embodies or includes atheism, then you have to say, okay, if naturalism's true, then I have to give an explanation as to why I think naturalism is true. Now, don't get me wrong, I think atheists, even those who claim, well, I just lack a belief in God, are by default saying that naturalism is true. So they do have to give evidence for their worldview. But at least Jeffrey was open about it. At least Jeffrey was saying, look, I got to give a positive case for my view. So again, his positive case was physical stuff, the success of science, biological evolution, pain and pleasure, uh, mind-brain dependence, empathy and apathy, and non-resistant non-belief. And I think uh, those arguments don't work for naturalism. I think I think those arguments in some in some cases point to to actually supernaturalism or point to theism for the reasons I already gave. Now, again, this is a brief overview. It's even briefer than the time we had in in the debate the other night. But I really appreciate Jeffrey J. Louder for debating and for being so cordial doing so. And maybe in the future we could get together and uh, talk about this a little bit more, uh, and we can unpack some of these issues. Uh, because during the uh, during the exchanges, when I had the opportunity to to ask him questions and he had the opportunity to ask me questions, I think that was uh, uh, something we need to unpack more because we really didn't even have enough time there. And uh, th- the three questions I asked him, by the way, had to do with the fact that how can there be reason if we're just molecules in motion? Why is anything wrong if there is no God? And what natural laws create messages? like a genome that's 3.5 billion letters long. I don't think I got an adequate answer to any of those. And uh, it could be just to the just because of the time factor. It could be maybe Jeffrey doesn't have a good answer. I don't know. I don't want to say that because, again, this, this was very time sensitive. Uh, but we'll, we'll revisit, revisit this uh, at another time with Jeffrey when we both have time to do so. But, again, I appreciate it. And, again, if you want this debate, these debate uh, – slides crossexamine.org forward slash debate crossexamine.org forward slash debate you can download a pdf of those there i'm frank turk great being with you see you next week god bless the views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the american family association or american family radio